Hello and welcome to This Way Up. In this series, I talk to a number of leading women in the creative industry, looking specifically at the good, the bad and the ugly of their career. I believe it's by sharing frank stories that we can collectively support each other and make the journey up a little less hard. In this episode, I talk to Caitlin Ryan. Uh, Caitlin is the Regional Creative Director Emir at Facebook, which is quite a mouthful, but that kind of describes how big her role is. And we just had an absolute blast having a conversation about her very interesting career. Um, it spanned being creative director at Proximity, to going to Kamarama, to even getting into Facebook and the many interviews that comes with that. Um, so you can imagine that she had quite a lot to say when it came to the challenges that she came across and how she uses different techniques to sort of, well, manage them. I think the story that really sort of stood out the most for me was when uh, she came back from maternity leave and uh, found that the co-creative director wanted to get rid of her. Um, so she talks about how she tackles that. But I also wanted to ask her about the subject of diversity within our world of advertising and her opinions on it. And obviously she wrote a very famous article coming back to Justin Tindall's remark on the fact that he was bored of the diversity conversation. But I don't want to reveal too much within my introduction. So without further ado, please listen to this amazing conversation with the great Caitlin. Caitlin, welcome to the show. I'm so thrilled to have you here because I really wanted for a long time to talk about your fascinating career. Um, and as you know, with the podcast, I always start from your humble beginnings. Um, could you let me know how you sort of started in advertising? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Brisbane, Australia. Yeah. And um, I, when I finished school, I was keen to do something in the communications area rather than sort of purely creative. And there was a degree um, called business communications where you could major in marketing, advertising or journalism yeah. or PR. Um, and I actually started in, um, in doing PR and just didn't – there was something about it I didn't connect with as much as um, what – you know, using the, my kind of creative yeah. um, ability. And I went and spoke to the head of the advertising um, – uh, curriculum and thought actually that sounds more like what I wanted to do and kind of somewhere where I could be more creative. So I did that as a three-year degree and then I um, wrote to every agency in Brisbane with not that many <laughs> asking for an internship and I got taken on by McCann Erickson and that was a year internship. And back in those days, what they used to do is you would do um, like time in uh, client services, time in it was when media was still part of, especially in the smaller um, in the smaller markets. So time in media, time in sort of what was planning at that mm. stage. And then my last, you know, kind of quarter was in the creative department, and I just loved it. I just, the moment I got into the creative department, I thought this is my home and these are my people. 
Um, so that's why I stayed in the creative department um, and was there for not long in, in Brisbane. My husband wanted to come overseas to do um, an MBA and I was really keen to work in London and the kind of mecca of advertising. Um, and so, yeah, came over here and, um, yeah, and started working some freelance to begin with because we didn't think we were going to stay, freelanced around town a bit and then started at um, what was then called BHWG, which was one of the first um, kind of direct response Right. agencies that was um had this different idea around actually you could that brands like Volkswagen had to be um kind of very respectful of the brand equity that they'd built up um and so we had clients like um Purcell, Volkswagen right. these kind of very famous brands but thinking about how do we create this targeted communication um right. for them and and think about how you would have a brand and a brand would be different for a busy mum than it was for you know mm. a kind of a older empty nester and i was always quite fascinated by that that a brand could be different things to different people really depending on what lens you were looking at it Yes, yeah, so you came to London. Remind me the name of that agency. Uh, they were called Barakoff Hall Wollstone Grey. And they were sort of, um, yeah, seen as these, um, in the direct marketing industry, they were very much, there was them and Evans Hunt Scott, and there were sort right. of these few boutique Craig Jones um, that were really thinking about creativity in a very different way. Um, they were bought by BBDO right. and became Proximity. Gotcha. That's how. That's why I was trying yes. to sort of, because I knew about proximity, yeah. but I didn't know that one. So they got a change. But yeah. before we go into mm. sort of more, because you stayed quite a long time with proximity. Yes. One thing I noticed, so you were already married. You, yes. You sort of met your partner. In yep, Brisbane, met him at university, then, yep. And then you sort of came together and you kind of grew up together in the industry. Yes. With your husband. Yep. And just made your life in London. Yeah. And you, what made you sort of think, oh, I'm not going back to Australia? Um, we never consciously thought right. we're not going back. We sort of thought, oh, when we have kids, we'll go back because you do, wouldn't bring up kids in London. And, you know, I now have a 17, 15 and 10 year old. Um, and then we thought when the Olympics, we'll wait for the Olympics. Like every time that it came to be we should go back. We just never did. And I always, like, I remember when we first arrived in London and we'd taken this ticket that was the cheapest, cheapest ticket you could possibly buy because we both had, you know, had no money. He was coming over to study. Um, so I was going to support us for the two years while he yeah. did his MBA. So we bought this round-the-world ticket from Garuda Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> that was so it was cheaper for us to buy a business class Garuda Airlines ticket than an economy right. anything else so we thought oh okay we'll buy a business there was nobody in business and no one in first class so we actually sat in first class for about two days because it was such a right. milk run it went <laughs> it went all around the world before it finally got to London so it honestly took about two days and I was so dizzy by the time we arrived because I'd been on this plane in first class drinking champagne for two days <laughs> that we um and we were in student quarters in Russell Square right. there's like a yeah. postgrad student accommodation in London William Goodenough it. House it's like Thank this yeah. bizarre there's so many people know about it okay. and it's um yeah so it's full of Canadians Australians Indians Pakistanis and you know all here studying and um 
and it's near the West End. So we went this, we arrived with our backpacks and went for this walk because we're so dizzy. And I remember having this overwhelming feeling of, oh my God, I, I absolutely love this yes. city. I just, there's yeah. something about London. And I still, you know, 20 years later, I still pinch myself going, I can't believe I live in this city. Um, so yeah, I just do, I love it. But you know, I do love Australia as well. I always have to be very careful that <laughs> I love Australia as well. But um, yeah, don't I do worry. I think people can <laughs> clearly see that. Um, so, so it became proximity. Yeah. And can you tell me about how you sort of um, went up the ladder, so to speak? Yeah. Within? Yeah, so, I mean, I guess because I was, I really was passionate about this, um, what now I think um, we see as, was probably quite a modern way of looking at, at the world of to how can you look at a brand and look at it in, um, and this audience first yeah. way of looking at the world. And I'm always was more interested in people than I was in the creative process. Yeah. I mean, I love creativity, I love creative people, but my passion is people and what makes people do things so for me it was um I really did a lot of reading around that I was interested in behavioral economics before it was sort of a thing and the creative directors at the time I think noticed that I was that I looked at the work in a different way Mm. um and I was always wanting to understand the you know the psych the psychology behind the work um, or what the audience mm. like why did the audience you know respond this. to that and not to this yeah. and that was the bit that so I um, I kind of was in a good place and because it, I found my passion yeah. in a place where I'm not sure um, lots of people were that interested a lot of I think people had come from traditional advertising mm. and had that brand outward focus right. on the world and were very and you know the UK was so famous for creating beautiful brand work there yeah. were lots of people like that so I was very different because of that yeah that's really interesting to me because I can hear that their voices I bet you had those types of creators that wanted to make the big sort of craft yeah yeah you were like well this is not what the audience wants no yeah and this idea of the big idea the big idea it's all about the big idea I'm like actually it might be about a series of small ideas that are connected in an ecosystem and saying I mean now it sounds a bit more like of course but saying that back then it was just like what (laughs) and so I just um yeah and you know like we do these projects for um campaigns for like um uh Purcell and and dirt is good came from this below-the-line thought of actually if we can get mums to engage with this idea that's very much about activation and getting them so involved in the brand that the cleanliness, you know, the ability to clean clothes is this halo effect. That's the kind of uh, the essence of the brand. But actually, as a brand, we can get mums to be doing stuff. And we were making these, you know, kits to send out to mums to make mud pies. And and I just loved all of that, that a brand enabled an audience. I think that's really, I actually remember that when I was at MMB. I I remember seeing that kind of stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's really interesting to me that you 
you know, you started with the audience, and obviously we're going to have to talk about Facebook. Yes. That's just a very interesting correlation. It's all about the audience, which now yeah. people know is absolutely true. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, it was interesting. Like, it felt like when I got to Facebook, jumping forward to that, yeah. I was like, I feel like I'm at home. All yeah. of the thinking that I'd had for, you know, even since when I was at McCann Erickson and I used to sit in the um, reviews, and because media was so much a part of... Um, the process, yeah. I was really interested in, well, how, well, how is the media working and why, mm. why would you do it this way on radio? So I've always been connected more into the context yeah. of the message and the audience. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it did feel then when I got to Facebook. Which I think is key, and I think every creative should really know their audience and understand the media yeah. that they're going to put their work in. It. Yes, so, yes. like, you'd think now... It's, it's just, the oddest thing. Yeah. It's the oddest, oddest thing, and I do think it was... Um, you know, we had this period of, of TV being the thing. Um, and so it just was this idea of broadcast and getting the biggest idea. You did need a big idea so that an audience saw it on Saturday night at 8 o'clock yeah. and by Wednesday in front of the shelf, they had had such an impact and such a brand kind of imprint in their brain that they'd pick it off the shelf. So, it, you know, for all the right reasons, that was the work that yeah. was crafted the way it was. But it meant that we were so, for so long, I still think we're suffering from, as, a, as an industry, um, the hangover of being obsessed by these big ideas that are crafted to within an inch of their life rather than being um, more flexible and fluid with ideas. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that goes with what the industry's talking about, testing men and, um, you know, testing ideas and, and yeah. putting them out there, which I think... You know, it's what sort of people do, like influencers and things like that, on Instagram all the time. Yeah. Um, but before we get yes. sidetracked mm-hmm. too much, no, it's my fault. Um, so from proximity, you went, you then went on to Kamarama. Yes. Um, and what was that like? Because that must have been a really different world, or was it not? Um, so what happened at Proximity is we were the first, one of the first networks to transition from being a direct marketing mm. agency and mainly working in print um, to a digital agency. Yeah. Um, so I was an early on... Um, adopter of digital, but also I had done a transition of a, of a big department. My department at Proximity was sort of 80, 90 people at that stage wow. and transitioning it to a digital. So bringing in UX, bringing in creative technologists, bringing in kind of designers mm. and doing big enterprise, um, you know, site work. And so I had experience in understanding and I understood how I needed to take down the walls mm. to make the spaces work for the creative process. So there was all of the infrastructure right. um, that had to change as well as the culture. Um, and Kamarama approached me because they had, um, at that stage, they'd bought um, three or four different agencies. Right. They had the traditional agency, the um, a digital agency, um, were about to buy a mobile platform agency, had a PR um, part and a production. Right. But they were all working in silos. Um, and so what they wanted was a group ECD that kind of could sit yeah. across all of them and bring them um, together. So I guess it was an org change again. Yeah. Um, Quite a big task. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you know, there were there was lots that we 
got right, lots that we still didn't. The muscle memory of TV is very strong. That's what I meant about it being very different because, you know, we both know how the TV, you know, we were just saying about the, the whole world being hung up on the whole TV and yeah. the big idea for the TV and yeah. after the yeah. end of its life. Um, you know, I just wonder how you sort of interacted with these kind of characters or was it, you know, what was the sort of tension point? Um, I think the tension point is the same tension point that there is now right. um, in the fear of if that is your skill set, it's difficult to give up on it. Yeah. Um, and I think that this that was the beginning of... Um, of creatives being suspicious of technology and that technology would be this very harmful thing to the creative process rather than, and I was always like, no, it's going to be amazing Mm. for creativity. Um, So, yeah, I mean, there were were bits of success I had. Um, There was lots of, I had my tribe of people who got it. There certainly were people I didn't ever convince. Um, And just on that, mm. how did you deal with them? What kind of advice do you think you could give in terms of... Because we've all been there. Yeah. yeah. Um, look, I think you need to find a, you need to find a common passion mm-hmm. point. Um, and, again, I sort of always go back to people. I think because most creatives are pretty interested in people. Mm. Um, and so finding, you know, that as a reason to create work that you know, create work that matters to people. And that yeah. became my mantra at, um, at Kamarama, let's just create work that matters to people. Um, then I think from there you can build a common, mm. a common ground. And also being incredibly respectful yeah. of a skill set that, you know, it's not my skill set. I used to hate sitting in edit suites. So it's not, I, I, I don't like having to have a sort of, um, a control on things, but actually to create a beautifully crafted television um, mm. spot does need that attention to detail that I'll move it, you know, one frame at a time, I'll look at it. Um, so it's also, I think, my big learning was for myself as well, mm. respecting that craft um, and how, you know, there were some incredible creatives at um, at Kamarama who were great at that. Mm. Some of them were never going to get to... It's interesting now, I've had quite a few of them who, back in the day, like five years ago, when I was a camera, I'm like, no, 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 no. And, like, we would talk about um, a social media campaign and they would just turn it back into a TV. And I'd turn my back for a minute, I'd come back, and they were like, we've made it exactly the same as a TV ad. I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not the old idea. Nobody click. And they're like, oh, no, it's so fantastic. People will click on it. I'm like, no, they won't. Um... And now they're coming to me going, oh, actually, we're really interested in what's happening with technology. So I think, you know, the, the, the industry has at different, it's taken people at different times yeah. to go, have that aha moment um, and go, I see how technology can open up yeah. um, a whole different way of yeah. looking at brands and people and how they connect. Yeah. Um, but you seem to me very calm about it, and I'd love to to know if there was any times where you just got like really frustrated, like especially the, to those creatives. Who yeah, it's yes, of course I did. Um, yeah. I bet on the whole, I am a very calm yes, person. Very calm. Um, one thing that happened to me when I was at Cameron was I had a very bad back injury right. um, and ended up in hospital and having to have an operation, and um, I was on very very strong painkillers 
which I was, I have a very addictive personality mm-hmm. and I was worried that I was just going to stay on. Yeah. I could see myself just waiting for the next painkiller thing. So, um, and because I couldn't move, I was just, I had to lie flat on my back. I was listening to a lot of audio books and I discovered, um, what was the first, the power of now, I think, um, you know, thinking about, I discovered a, um, uh, a thread of meditation, ways of dealing with pain through meditation was probably my right. entry point. But then it became a really important part of my life and still is. Meditation oh, is a really important part of my life. And so a lot of things that I think once I'd recovered from my back operation and I took and I was off the painkillers but I was still using meditation that idea of um, using meditation to turn off that vo- that inner voice mm. of they're not listening to me because I'm not good enough or they're not listening to me because you know I just can't get myself um, understood to I can only do what I can do and then it's up to them whether they li- accept mm. it or not so I I flipped that um that I think what can be quite a female thing was like, if only I was better, they would understand to, I will do the best that I can do. And then it is up to them whether or not. Oh, wow. That's an amazing piece of advice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take on. But that was just because it's true. We all have sort of those voices. And it's true that uh, the level of responsibility doesn't always have to be on you. There's only no. so much you can do. And I yeah. think that's really, really yeah. great. And one thing that's so fascinating to me is on top of everything else that you do, you also have three cafes. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yeah, so um, Lantana is um, run by my husband and sister. It was an idea that um, we all had about 10 years ago uh, where we recognised that um, there just wasn't the... Um, kind of independent cafes in yeah. the UK, whereas in Australia, where we're all from, it was the independent cafe culture is really strong. Right. Um, so I just always was like, you know, as a creative person, I didn't like seeing the high street being come so cookie cutter. It was like Starbucks and Costa, mm. and but every high street looked the same. And actually, independent cafes give each high street a different look and mm. flavour. So we just decided, <laughs> without any experience, that we would start this, um, you know, tiny little cafe. The first one was in. But what's interesting from a career point of view is that I used a lot of social media techniques to build the audience. Mm. So we start when we were building, you know, I had a poster in the in the front window saying um, coming soon, a reason to get up in the morning, follow our blog. And that was way before anybody was, right. you know, understanding this, that brands had to, could have stories and that actually the, you know, kind of digital landscape was a great place to tell these stories. And so we started getting this audience following um, Scrambling Eggs, it was called. And um, and we took them through the whole six-month process, people going, oh, we can't wait to you. So I built an audience there. But then also, and funnily enough, when I sort of was interviewing with Facebook, what became, you know, like a aha moment was I was like, actually, you know what? I, my fir- I built a Facebook group called I Miss Australian Coffee as a way to build an audience so that when we opened, I could say, everybody misses Australian coffee. The flat white has now arrived in London. Uh, so, yeah, it was again, I guess, back to that point before of the way I think about brands is to find a, a connection between people and build a community. And that's, a, you know, yeah. that is a Facebook thing. So, um, which is why... 
that your side hustle can also sort of really help uh, oh, yeah. your, your yeah. job. Yeah, and I think running a business, you know, when you see um, – when you're building a brand, but also it's a business that needs to perform, mm. um, that dichotomy and making those choices for a creative person is a, is a skill set that clients really appreciate, but also as a skill set you think, okay, I need to get the tills to ring, but I need to build my brand. How do I do both? Um, and so it's like, for digital native brands, it comes more naturally, but it's a great skill mm. to have when you're, you know, working on, on brands. Absolutely. It means that you can put yourself in the client's shoe. What I also wanted to talk to you about is obviously you've got three children. Yes. Um, can you just run me through how they sort of came along? Was it at proximity? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I was first, um, uh, my son's 17, so I had just become... I'd just become easy. No, I was sharing the role. We were, it was a joint role. Right. Two, two of us were creative directors because by that stage the department was huge right. and we'd bought, um, bought, merged with, oh, I don't know, three or four agencies. So it was a big um, department. I was um, uh, sharing it and then I went off to have um, Luca and I wasn't sure whether or not I was I don't think I ever thought I wouldn't go back but I certainly wasn't thinking I'm going to come back and be the ECD um or even whether I would be the creative director or not um and when I came back the person I'd been sharing with made it so obvious that he assumed I wouldn't be taking back the mantle yeah that it really pissed me off (laughs) um and so that sort of gave me uh no you know, I, I can do this and I, I'm sorry. I mean, he'd moved my office. Oh, he, he'd like, you know, there's so many things that now you'd be like, oh, wish it happened now. And I could have just like straight to HR. But at the time you just took it. You just like, you know, and it, but it gave me that energy mm. and how fucking dare you. Yeah. How did you handle um, it? You know what? Again, I like at that stage also, I was so determined and I've always said, let let your work be your Mm. best defense. So I just made sure I never dropped a ball. I never missed a deadline. My clients loved me like that. I was, there was no way in the world that I couldn't. And, you know, I did also have a lot of support in the, um, in the agency with um, you know, I was on the board by then and everything. So it wasn't like on right. my own I was being. Um, but I had to be strategic and not be naive to this guy was wanting mm, wanted me out. Yeah. Anyway, okay. he ended up leaving um, to do his own to do his own thing. And um, and I had this new boss who was like the best one of the best bosses I've ever had. He'd come from Abbott Mead, um, Chris Thomas, who's um, that kind of went up and up and up in BBDO, and um, and. He said, okay, so I think we need to get one ECD. And I said, well, I can't do it because I've just had a baby and I'm four days a week. And um, so, but I would like to be part of the process of choosing the ECD. And I said, of course you should be. Let's go looking for an ECD. So I was very open to the idea that I couldn't run this big department on my own and just had had a baby and everything. And we started interviewing, you know, the kind of big Mm. names out there in the marketplace, all of whom were kind of, the sort of men older than me um and I just you know had really interesting conversations and I'd go and I just 
every time they I'm not sure what I would learn from them. I'm not yeah. sure that there's somebody there that will stretch me in the way that I would want to be stretched. Um, and while we were looking in that process, I also was running, we had the global HSBC pitch and I was running it for proximity globally. So I was doing that, kind of running this department anyway, had my, you know, doing it four days a week because I kept saying I'm doing wow. this four days a week. And after about four or five months, we kind of looked at each other and we like, oh, God, we still haven't found this person. And he said, I, I actually think you can do this. Yeah. And I was like, do you, do you think? And um, I had Peter Suter was running, um, Abbott, he was the ECD, well, Chief Federal Officer um, at Abbott Mead, and he was a real um, kind of uh, supporter of mine. And he was just like, you can do it, and this is the salary you're going to ask for, and this is what, you know, and this is how wow. you're going to. So I had like a, a team of support. Mm. Um, Scylla Snowball has always been somebody who, you know, flew the flag for me. So of course you can do it. So, yeah, I just was very lucky at that stage age where I think other people would go, yeah. no, you can't. You're a new mum. You're quite young. You know, hadn't turned 30 yet. You can't run this big department. Um, and they, they did and I and supported me. And I was four days a week the whole time. That's I was, so impressive. Yeah, yeah. And it just shows, and this is why I'm doing this kind of podcast, is that it can be, you can do it. Yeah. It, it's just about sort of knowing who you are and also having champions. I think that's a really... You need champions and you need to know it can be done. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was before technology. So we had Blackberries, but we didn't have, you know, now I'll, I, I work from, I work five days, but I work from home, from, um, home at least one day a week and I'll be on VC all day. So it doesn't feel like yeah. you don't know. But in those days it was just Black, and that was just the start of Blackberry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would. Re- I, and also, I had great people under me. And I think the other trick that I learned is if I'm going to do this, I need to have amazing yeah. people under me. So my creative directors that reported into me were phenomenal, yeah. um, very supportive of me. Wanted it. I had quite a few female creative directors that they wanted it to work as well. Yeah. Um, but also, I have to say, I've always been very lucky in my team, have always been very supportive of me, men and, and women. Yeah. I think that's where it would have been difficult is to have people who are trying to undermine you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then when you had your two other kids, mm. you just continued on the sort of similar path. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So No, it just shows that, you, you you know, if you've got something in mind and you trust yourself and trust your abilities, it's completely doable. Yeah. And, and when you went to Kamarama, yeah. you then still had the four days a week or did you? Still kept the four days a week there. They were amazing about it. Um, and yeah, I kept doing the same, you know, it was very much the same um, kind of, I've always had Wednesdays off. Wow. That was, you know, and that's what my kids always call mummy day. And <laughs> yeah, it was just important to me also. And um, we talk about it a lot here yeah. at Facebook. I don't think it's talked a lot about in the industry. Um, and here it's referred to as fuel, but it's that I had this thing that to be my whole self, yeah. my kids had to come home from school and have the food you know, that I cooked my spaghetti bolognese recipe on the stove and that I had cooked the flapjacks and Anzac biscuits. And, you know, that was my day of being a mother was, um, and that was just really important for me that I could do that. And it meant that, you know, we had Johnson & Johnson, P&G. So when I talked to mm. clients and I had that, especially the early days of understanding how women were behaving on online, there weren't that many 
um, creatives who understood the way I did, both digital, the digital landscape, as well as being a young mum who was going to the internet constantly for information, reassurance, networking. So, you know, for P&G, we built the biggest community of mums that was bigger than mum's net. And that was very much my, like, real understanding of what it's like at three in the morning, wondering (laughs) what to do with the temperature, child with the temperature. Yeah, Um, and I... Cindy Gallup always talks about the fact that, you know, 80% of purchases are made by women and yeah. there are so few women in the creative department. Yeah. Is, you know, so absolutely. But did you ever have times where, I mean, are you able to sort of completely shut off work? Yeah. Great. Yeah. How um, do you do that? <laughs> um, meditation. Meditation. Walking. Um, I think you have to practice it. It is like a muscle yeah. and you have to, and the bit that you have to to do is that negative voice because actually if you're busy and you're really you know you're in a creative um process and you're loving it and you're passionate and you're in your flow you don't care it's not Mm. stressful it's you know um at two in the morning if you wake up and you've got a great idea you suddenly Mm. you you don't resent that that doesn't drain you that fuels you but I think it's the stress of worrying, oh, I haven't done this, or so-and-so said yeah. that, what did they mean? And that's a bit I think yeah. you need to learn to, switch, to off. switch off. And so it's really about the politics, isn't it, that that's the bit that sort of always gets you. And, and, and I see it with women in, you know, at my level, with, you know, I mentor quite a few women. It's the politics. It's that being undermined or... Um, you know, not sure, the communication's not transparent, I don't know where I stand, that's the bit that kills you. Yeah. Um, And, like, literally kills you. Yeah. Um, And also undermines the great work that you could be doing instead of worrying about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my thing with creatives was always you can't be... There was this lovely quote from David Abbott of um, creativity flourishes under sunshine and encouragement. And so I always wanted to build a department and culture where people felt mm. very safe very you know even if stuff and I've been through lots and lots of um, having to take teams through redundancies because you know the last yeah. 20 years have been that but I've always tried to be as transparent as mm. I possibly could rather than um, it being political and underhand yeah. and no. n- just being really straightforward yeah which I can imagine because you you're very straightforward as a person um, no, I try to be <laughs> And, and so you continued at Kamarama and yep. then you went off to, I, I can never say it, Ch- Well, Chail. So I'll tell you a funny story about that. So, yeah, I went to Chail. So the bit I missed um, with Kamarama was technology. And, like, I am a geek. I love tech. I love, I'm, I'm very much have a utopian rather than dystopian view right. of the future. Um, as a working mum, technology has saved me and enabled mm. me to do what I do. Um, and I missed being at the forefront of yeah. what's happening with VR, where's AR going? Um, and so I was approached about the Chael role, which is obviously helping um, Samsung understand, you know, not just the how they build a brand, but sort of more interestingly, what they're doing in IoT mm. and the fact that, you know, Samsung has the fridge, the watch, the phone, all mm. this kind of connected ecosystem. And how do you build a brand with um, all of these different functions yeah. and features all under the same mother brand of Samsung. It's kind of the most unique brand in the world because of that mm-hmm. and at the forefront of technology. Um, and so that just felt like a very interesting opportunity to me. And also I loved the um, 
the breadth of the role was everything from building VR, you know, roller coasters in Westfield, right through to understanding the data that um, was coming through the phone um, to create branded experiences, mm -hmm. to how to sell, you know, a gear watch. So it was just a very kind of broad yeah. role. Um, and it allowed me to go deep dive into technology mm -hmm. again. Yeah, that sounds like um, you've always sort of been a sort of step ahead uh, in terms of like what, you know, when it's sort of before people are sort of thinking about technology. I need to say that again. <laughs> oh my God, that was really bad. So I'm trying to think about Facebook. Yeah, as well. yeah, you know, link to that. Yeah. Um, would you say that you were always one step ahead in terms of, you know, sort of, I'm just trying to think back to how you first started all about audiences yeah. and then first into digital um, and then on to Kamarama, but then on to yeah. trial. Is that, is that something that you always pursue or is just sort of... Yeah, I, I think looking back, that is the thread mm. through my career, um, that kind of what makes people behave yeah. in a certain way and how brands engage not just through telling stories but through creating utility or by mm. enabling people to do stuff yeah. rather than just think stuff, yeah. um, I guess has been the red thread through my career um, yeah. and it is something I just am very interested in. Yeah, and so what sort of made you go to Facebook? Um, it was interesting. I was on the train one day and, you know, I was really happy at Chael and sort of, you know, didn't want to, um, wasn't looking. But I <laughs> I saw, I think it was the piece about how Facebook was growing and they were going to have all these engineers starting in mm. London. It was like a piece saying we're, we're going to have, I don't know, thousands more engineers starting next year. I obviously knew Nicola from, Nicola right. Mendelssohn had recruited me to be the um, group ECD at Kamarama. So I knew her. And I was just on the tube one day and I sort of looked up and I saw all these ads which had that Facebook logo and I just was like, wow. And they had approached me a couple of times and I was just, it wasn't mm. sort of, you know, didn't feel like um, either the role or the company at that time over the, over the um, years. But there was something about, I don't know, the universe telling you something. And I pinged um, Nicola and I said, should I have a chat to... Um, to you know, Facebook, it feels like there's, it's, and also by that stage, the product was opening up to not just being Canvas and Carousel, right. but they just bought Instagram, there was Oculus Rift, mm. there was WhatsApp. So it felt also like the toolbox for creativity was, was opening up. As you know, you need to talk to this guy, Rob Newland. Anyway, and we sort of tried to get in both busy people, never quite got to have a coffee. And then I was at Cannes and I'd got this message like, oh, Facebook would like to meet you, you know, down at Facebook Beach. And I was like, I didn't know anything about it. And then went down thinking, oh, they'll be like selling me something. And they were like, well, Rob Newland's left and there's this role, this Amir role. I was like, oh my God, that role. Okay, well, that would be really interesting. And then, yeah, like many, many, many interviews later. <laughs> I've heard about many. Oh my God, yeah. Apparently Google's just as bad. Um, so, yeah, so that's what led me to so, Facebook. But at the same time, it's such a nice compliment that you sort of managed all these different levels of interviews and then got the job yeah yeah no I was very happy the day Mark Darcy who was the um global um rang me and went you've got the job I was like yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like what, what? <laughs> and then I was like oh my god how much do I have to travel and they're like yeah it's a high travel role I was like oh my god oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> like I panicked then well on that I'd love to 
you to tell me a bit more about what your day to day because we were just talking just before recording about how you know it is quite a, a full on role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think because the region is big, yeah. um, the it's such a fascinating role because the creative that creative output we don't it's not like a traditional no. agency it's almost like a consulting role of thinking about well what is the future yeah. of brands connecting with consumers on our platform um so there's kind of the innovation production side of just thinking how do we help agencies connect yeah. to you know where we're thinking um and and the direction of travel plus talking on stages you know the, mm. plus it's a very complex org it makes an agency look like a single cell worm <laughs> it's, right. like, it's just this very complex org of you know the, and just getting your head around that yeah. is another big um yeah kind of how thing. do you do that i mean is there like little tricks that you oh learn? i mean they, they everybody's so encouraging here by saying don't get worried like you know you cry a lot <laughs> in the first six months and everyone's like don't worry you're gonna cry it's fine it's absolutely <laughs> fine it's overwhelming it's but you still like you could there's so much fascinating stuff happening all the time because of the role in society that you know that you could constantly be watching hack tv or the live podcast or you know all of this stuff and never get bored or sick of it no i bet and also you you've got the you know the latest technology before everyone else yes yeah just so much excitement going on yeah yeah and i feel like i could just ask you about a thousand questions just on Facebook but I really also want to talk to you about diversity yes. in general yeah. um, in advertising because uh, we've had chat before on yeah. this and, yeah. and you've been in campaign a few times talking about it specifically yeah. an article that I absolutely love because I think I texted you straight away <laughs> afterwards and, um, and now I've forgotten Justin Tindall yeah. Justin Tindall um, from MNC Sanchi yeah. and your yeah. response to him yeah. saying that he was bored of diversity. Yeah. Can you just tell me, you know, how how you reacted straight away when you sort of once like sort of read his yeah I mean it's as you've commented I'm quite a calm person I don't often get really really angry um and I almost surprised myself how I just felt it was so dangerous that comment and because um at that stage I was mentoring a lot of young creative women who were just like I've had enough I can't I cannot survive this it's too tough it's there's too many people against me and the frightening thing of it was all under this wrapper of agencies like with diversity programs and everybody saying how you know we're we're going to move the numbers and nothing was happening and actually there's this real stress happening at the level um and so nobody was addressing the fact that there were you know, many people getting a bit bored of, um, and I I could, you know, he he and I went out for a drink afterwards and I could get and understand that if you are just talking about it and not doing anything, it is boring. It's boring to us as well. Mm. But to make my, the thing that flipped me on that was that he made it so binary with talent that, um, you know, that divert, that you were only did diversity for diversity's sake rather than because it would make the work better. Mm. And I just, th- that made me furious. That, yeah. And I just knew that every young creative female who, and like the response was incredible from all over the world of young, you know, yeah. and, and actually people from lots of minor, minority groups. And what was interesting is Justin saying to me, I actually had never put myself in 
in your shoes. And I think that as an industry, we need empathy. But again, back to we need to be empathetic empathetic of empathetic of of also the audiences and just so I think that empathy as a skill needs to be throughout the industry in a much more profound way Um, so I was pleased that I wrote the letter I wasn't you know I hate hurting anybody and and I caused him a lot of grief and he was extremely upset not at me but you know he's actually a very nice and decent person um but the, it was. I was pleased that it gave me the opportunity to say, "You've got to think about what it's like to be in this situation." Because mm. I don't think anybody had actually thought, "What is it like yeah. to be the only woman constantly?" And that's what I loved about your article is is your beautiful copywriting and doing it from this perspective of a guy being the only guy amongst a sea of women. Yeah. And I think it was for the first time that I thought, if any bloke read this they hopefully they'll understand how difficult it is because it's one thing coming up with ideas but it's another having to sort of defend it and not knowing and not having the confidence because you don't know it could be a shit idea but yes you 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 are not looked at because or heard because you're a woman yeah it becomes you know it's it's a really tough world yeah it was for the first time for me personally that I just felt Oh, someone heard me. Yes. And it was was very nice in that way. And I completely agree that there is a bigger problem, which is empathy. It starts with empathy. I think it's a really good place to start. Um, And I had a sort of burning question, which is, you know, where do you think it's going? Because I've had sort of different debates on that. Um, I mean, I think that... I think the needle's moving because it's just it like you, we're starting to see just the numbers and I think um uh what do I think I still am worried I think the industry's still very brutal mm. for both men and women yeah um so I'm not sure what comes out what kind of industry comes out at the back of this um and that's not even a female male thing yeah I my hope is that if we can find a way to prove, I think we still have to prove, and I'm talking about this quite a lot at Facebook, we still have to prove that more diverse groups create better work. Because mm. I've, I've seen it in my career, but I don't think that the industry yeah. still is quite, you know, um, Which is grappled with that. Yeah. That's, I mean, it just, it doesn't make sense that you have to prove it in my, in my book. No. You know, it should be sort of um, fit or complete, you know. Yeah. Sort of guess that that would make better work yeah I look I think at the moment there's a lot of people very frightened both men and women and not sure what the future holds um and I think that doesn't allow people to be brave and bold that makes people like sort of not um explore their (laughs) full capacity as as creative people and so it does become he said she said uh, you've backed me in a corner so I don't think anything at the moment is going to create the best work um until we get through this next stage but it feels like the momentum that ball rolling has has gone too far to ever to be shut down again yeah i think that's a good thing i remember people saying well hopefully this will blow away and now hopefully it won't it never will it never can and also because from a societal point of view also with me too if it had just been happening in this industry perhaps it could have been at some point like you know um 
calm down everybody that's not, you know, which I remember early days saying, going to a BBDO creative directors conference, there was 98 men and three women. And I stood up at one stage and said, does anybody worry that out there is 50% men, women, and in here is, you know, 98%? And they were like, no, why? It's, you know, why? It's not about the, the, your sex. It's about the work that right. you do. Um, so I think that, that that argument that for many, many years we just couldn't break yeah. through, um, now it's starting to be like, I, as a you know client saying, I'm not going to let you pitch if you just rock up with eight men. I'm just not going, I'll walk back out. Yeah. Um, so I think things like that. Well, on that note, I really do hope the whole world of advertising <laughs> is going to change. It will. Um, it will. Thank you so, so much you're for welcome. doing this. I know you're, you're really busy. So no, it was a pleasure and a joy. you for listening to this episode of this way up please look out for more empowering interviews in the weeks to come like to know more or want to receive the following podcast straight to your inbox go to www.thiswayup.io or you can also show your support by following this way up on instagram exact links in the show notes so that's it from me until next time